Jesus, you are worthy of praise and worship. You are worthy of our every affection, our full devotion, and our full commitment to you. And we sang it. We said that we would live for you, we would die for you, and we would devote ourselves to you. And we said that you are worthy. So God, would you help us? Help us live a life that is worthy to that. You died for us and you love us so much. And God, we pray from the overflow of our heart that no matter what we do, no matter where we go, that it would be worshipful to you. We wouldn't waste this life. We wouldn't waste this opportunity that you give us. And even now, breath in our lungs, it's grace. Being in this place is grace. Just taking the time to be still. That's an art. You let us have that by your mercy. God, help us. Help us do it just as we said, just as we worship, just as we sang. Just worship you. Even tonight, through the intellect of study, through fellowship, would you be with us? Help us overflow our cups so that we can worship you, God. A God that is deserving of worship. So thank you so much for letting us be here tonight in your presence. And praise your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Perfect. If you guys could turn to 1 Timothy 3.6, if you want to read from your Bibles. 1 Timothy 3.6. One big whopping verse. So we're going to take it nice and slow. God's word reads like this. He must not be a recent convert, or he may be become puffed up with conceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. First Timothy 3.6. Wonderful. Let's go to the Lord. One verse, one word from the Bible has so much power because it's inspired by the Spirit of God that it can transform, change, save, redeem, just tr- totally change the trajectory of any person's life, if we have ears to hear tonight. As we've been chewing on this series of the pastorate piece by piece, we hope and pray that all of us would be gleaning and growing in our own godliness. And as a church ohana, we would know how to and what to look for in leaders, um, namely pastors. And so, God, I ask that you would help everyone here, myself, to open up this verse, the hearers here, the brothers and sisters who've gathered around this to hear it, and that you ultimately would be glorified as we learn and grow together. Thank you so much for joy. Thank you so much for song and how I'm sure many souls needed to sing those songs tonight. I know mine did. And we thank you now that we can 
continue in worship now through the teaching of the Bible. Lead us, we pray in your name. Amen. Um, but briefly looking at this, because we've been in this section for about a month now, um, first bullet point, the pastorate is a good hard work of keeping watch over souls. I'm going to read through a bunch of them. Um, he's exemplary in character. He's a one-woman man. He's sober-minded and self-control, respectable and hospitable, and they live lives not of this world. That whole first section that we tackled in that message, because that's all the points from that first message, the big picture right there is his holiness. You remember that? The pastor and his holiness. I want to just put good, solid categories in your mind when you think of a pastor. He is to be a man who is holy. He has Christ-like character. Um, the second thing we looked at, which was he handles the word of God. And we looked at that. Not, he's not just a good communicator. He's not just a great expositor, or he can't just explain things with his words, but he first teaches with his life. His life and his lips got a match. Remember that? And so this man who is exemplary in his personal holiness, he's also got to be able to handle the Bible, though. And this, we'll see when we get to the deacons, this is going to be kind of the difference maker because much of the qualifications of a deacon is very similar to the qualification as an elder. And don't look at deacon and elder as like one is better than the other. They are two offices that is absolutely essential for the advancement of the gospel. And it just so happens that the elder, though, he needs to have this ability to handle the word of God rightly with his life, with his lips. He's got to be teaching sound doctrine. So we saw that H was... From his holiness to the handling of the word. And last week, we saw the house. Remember that? So if you want to see if his personal holiness and his handling of the word is, in po is on point, you just look at his house. Because that is the stomping grounds. That's the proving grounds of a pastor in ministry. And we talked a lot about that. I'm not going to repeat the sermon. But we, we looked at that. That doesn't mean that he needs to be married. It does not mean that he needs to have children. Right, it, But he has to have the character qualifications of a man who is managing his household well. Um, and so, anyway, it's just to not repeat that um, from last week. And this is now where we are. And I'm going to keep it simple, keep it very Baptistic. All H's, household, um, handles the word. Oh, no, holiness, household. No, holiness, handling of the word, household. And tonight, the pastorate and his Humility. Thank you for being attentive. Thank you for being here. We're going to rip this one verse. You guys ready? God, you have already grabbed our attention because of the grace of God. You've effectually called us. You saved us. And now you put interest in our hearts for these things. And even knowing that I am a pastor of this church and I'm teaching on something that I am to be called to do, it's humbling, Lord. It's hard. But I thank you because I'm amongst brothers and sisters who care because I know that these here would hold me accountable if they see me veering off or swerving from any of these things. I believe that this church will do its best to honor Christ. And so please, God, please give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand now what this means. Do it, we pray in your name. Amen. So we often love, right, um, newness, freshness of things, right? Who, who doesn't like a, the new car smell? 
or the new shoe smell. The new shoe smells often better than the old shoe smell, correct? But we, there's a new, something about newness, like a new season, a new job, or, you know, the, the new season that came out on that show you're watching, or, you know, there's like this excitement of new things, new beginnings, newborn babies, that newborn baby smell, right? Um, for many things in life, newness is wonderful, and yet at the same time, we know newness is not necessarily a desired trait in all things. Newness has its pros, but it also has its cons, depending on the circumstance. Um, as an athlete, I don't know how many athletes are in the house. I'm assuming that at least half of us here, or maybe all of us, I don't know, sorry, don't want to judge. <laughs> not saying you guys don't look athletic. But as an athlete, uh, when I played soccer, I did not like new shoes. I did not like new boots or new cleats. They just stiff. You know what I mean? I didn't like a new ball. Like when I played basketball, I like a warm ball, a ball that's a little bit more worn in. I'm a leather guy. Not that I rock a lot of leather, but I like leather bags. I like leather stuff. Um, a couple that I married uh, years ago, they gave me the leather bag that I use that you guys see me walk around with. And um, the, the guy said, this is my great-grandfather's bag. And I just want to give it to you because I saw you looking at it and talking about how cool it is. And, and they gave it to me as a gift, a wedding gift. And, and I just, it's so worn in. I just love it. I just love worn in, broken in gear. You know what I'm talking about? The shoe that is just, the slipper that just feels just right. You see, newness and oldness has its pros and cons based upon the circumstance. Um, you ever been in line getting your coffee and you have a newbie barista? Right? Don't you feel for them? There's one time I was at coffee, getting coffee and the person before me had that epic order. Like, I'm going to have the double shot, extra this, this much degrees, and blah, blah, blah. And the, the barista is like, you know, she's writing it down and trying to get it through. And she finally gets the order out. And by the time she comes to me, she's like, what will you be having? You know, and I look at, look at the sis, iced coffee, black. I got the cream. You know, like, it's just, you feel compassion, right? Like, the, you don't want... If you're going to go in for heart surgery and they told you they have the new surgeon working on you, it's just, you know what I mean? There's something about for certain things to be a newbie is not necessarily, in and of itself, it's not a bad thing, right? It's not intrinsically wrong to have the new barber work on your hair. It's not anything bad on them. It's just they don't have the what? The experience. You know, that's why I stopped going to Supercuts. Because I, you know, I'll stop right there. And I, I learned how to cut my own hair and buzz it and simple. Because I used to go to this one auntie all the time. She just, she did it right. And then there was another day where it wasn't the auntie. Um, and I never went again. But based upon the circumstance and based upon this circumstance that we're looking at in the letter, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to leadership in the church, when it comes to the pastorate, you do not want a newbie in the faith, all right? The first thing we're going to look at, let's read it together. He must not be a recent convert. Now, let's go slowly. He must not. 
No can. This is not, he's not able to. The pastor cannot be. Recent convert, it's all one word in the Greek. Neophutos. It's a, this is the only place in all of the New Testament that this Greek word is used. It's very interesting. But if you read extra biblical Greek literature, they use this Greek word. And every time they use this Greek word, what they're describing is a newly planted tree. So look, think about that. He must not be a newly planted tree. He must not be a young convert or a novice Christian. What is a convert? Convert is someone who is trusted in who? Jesus, for the forgiveness of their sins. They believe that he died on the cross, and the reason why he could forgive them is because he was perfect and sinless. He's the Messiah. He's the only one that lived the righteous life we could not live. So all bragging rights now is Jesus. It's not, see, a convert, a true convert, they get the gospel and all their human pride is crushed. They've come to finally realize it's not about your performance. It's not about your works. It's not about how good you can appear and how much you can achieve. A true convert is just getting to realize it's not about you. If you're a Christian tonight and you don't truly get that, you may not be converted. You see, what he's talking about here is it's a newly planted tree that's, that's getting its roots running deep into the gospel. That's a convert. Now, recent is the word of it's a young plant. Now, intrinsically, is that bad? No. I don't get upset at Autumn because she's a newbie to this world and she can't pronounce please and thank you. Thank you, please. I'm not upset. That's just, that's the stage of life she's in. I'm not upset at my son because he can't cut his own apples. He's four. I'm going to take that knife away. Now, is he bad because he's a young boy? No. It's the stage of life he's in. See, recent convert is not a bad thing, okay? That's just, I just want to make that clear. It's not a bad thing. But when you put the knife in the four-year-old's hands, or when you let the 10-year-old behind the wheel, trying to see who's done that, because Hawaii people, you know, <laughs> country people, um, but it, it, it can become a bad thing, right? So, here we, so, so the first thing to understand, I want to put it in terms like this. When it says he must not be a recent convert, the first point is this. He must be a broken-in believer. A broken-in believer. And when I say broken-in, I'm talking about the illustration I'm talking about with the athletics. See, a ball or, or, or gear that's broken-in, it's got character. It's been used again and again. And again, and it's still what? Works. It's still go. Local people, she go. And it goes, and it goes, and it goes. See, a broken in believer. And I want to define, I want to get a little bit more help of, okay, let's define what is a broken in believer. When I say that, what's a mature believer? Because a recent convert, that's not a bad thing. It's just a stage of maturity where they just got their roots in. So when you think of a young plant, there's trees that we had to plant out on our church property because we had to cut down the big one. But that tree out there, it's been there for years. I don't know how many, but I used to, when they first planted it in, we had all the ropes holding it up. And I thought to myself, come on, buddy. Keep growing because I felt like we left the ropes up for so long. That thing looked so thin. I didn't know if it was going to last. But if you look at a young planted tree, 
Think about it. How easy is it to uproot that thing? Pretty easy. If you go down to one of those big trees by the river, across the street, Rada, go try to uproot that. You're going to have a hard time. You see, the pastorate, it's for men who must be broken in as believers. Now, the first thing I want us to see about a broken in believer is that he stood the test of time. And I get that from the word recent. Recent is new. It talks about time, meaning it's short. It just happened. So a couple questions I'm thinking to myself, which you guys were bringing up naturally in observation time. So does that mean the mature believer must be old? Because older people have lived longer. Does that mean if he's older, he therefore equates to being an elder? Because if so, that would present a problem for our text because who's this letter being written to? And Timothy was, hmm, so. Yeah, First Timothy 4.12, right? Timothy, don't let anyone despise you because you're youth, you're young. Psalm 119, verses 99 to 100, the psalmist is saying, I have more understanding than all my teachers, and your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. He's not boasting and bragging. He's just saying, he's making an observation. I have maturity beyond my years. How did that come to be? Because I've heard your word, and I've kept it. Timothy's been hearing the Bible since he was the age of these children. Remember that? Who taught Timothy the Bible? There you go. Good. Grandma and mama. And they've been acquainting him with the sacred writings of Scripture from young cakey time. So that by the time scholars say Timothy might have been a teenager or early 20s, Paul would look at him and qualify him as an elder. So, the first thing we got to understand when is a broken believer has stood the test of time, it does not necessarily mean that he's aged. Age doesn't automatically equate to maturity. Let me say that again. Age doesn't automatically equate to maturity. You could be a professed believer. You could be a church member attending a church for years, even decades and still be very immature in the faith. And I say that because the Bible says that. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 to 14, listen to this. He says, about this, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain. He's talking about Melchizedek. Since you've become dull of hearing. So already he's talking to the, the hearer. He's like, man, you Hebrews, there's so much more I want to explain to you, but you guys are hard in hearing. Um, that by, and then he says this, verse 12, by this time, you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Then the, the author says, you need milk, bro. Who, who drinks milk? Babies. Is that a bad thing? No. That's the stage of life they're in. I don't expect Betsy to be dishing steak to Emma tonight, you know? Um, or Esther, sorry. Um, but, right, it, it's just a stage of life. But the problem is, is if you're staying in that stage of immaturity and time is going on. You see that? The problem would be is if Blue is in his 20s and he still needs me to cut his apples. 
good. You should laugh because there's something wrong there. But that's what the author's saying to these people. By this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need to learn the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need to know the gospel all over again. Solid foods for the mature. And it's interesting. He says, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Why I say that's interesting is because maturity is trained by discernment, training, and practice, not intellectual sophistication. You can be old, you can be in the church for a long time, and you can articulate the faith very, very well, but it's still very possible you're very immature. You see, as a church family, we need to learn how to discern if he's a recent convert or not. This is interesting. But these are questions that all of us should be able to ask, not just for the pastorate. Here's a hard question for us tonight. Have you matured in your faith this year? This month? This week? And if your answer is yes, if you say, yes, I've been maturing, I would ask you, how so? Are your roots still as deep as when you first believed? Are you still being overcome by the same sins? Are you the dog that returns to its vomit, Proverbs 26? Are you running in circles? There's no progress. There's little fruit to show of repentance. That's Matthew 3. Are you a broken in believer? I would love for our church to be believers that are like a nice, warm baseball glove. It's broken in. You know? We got the scars and the bruises to show it. And here's the thing. We're still going. You see, a recent convert is immature in this. They're, they're newly regenerate, regenerated. They're young in the faith. They just come to trust in Christ. They've just begun to walk with the Lord, and yet they've yet to taste the battle and the victory, the, the, the brokenness of sin and the building up of the gospel. They, they, their armor's still fresh. They don't have blood or chinks on their armor just yet, just yet. It's not a bad thing. If you're a recent believer, I don't want you to feel less than because you've just begun to walk with the Lord. But my encouragement to you is keep walking, keep maturing, keep growing, keep desiring to not remain recent and just on milk. We have a whole book and we have a whole life to be broken in. Right? The psalmist says, I've heard your word, I've listened, and I'm learning, and I'm living it. That is how maturity is ha happens. You, you gain experience. See, immaturity in a recent convert is to be expected. And that's why Paul admonishes them. You don't want to put a recent convert into a position of leadership. So, have you, are you maturing? Are we walking through seasons? Have you walked through seasons with the Lord? You see, for the pastor, he mustn't be recent. 
the pastor is to be a, a place where it's, it's a, the pastor is a place for men that are filled with experiences of being in and out of season. They know the pressures of what, they're not soft-skinned brothers. You know what I mean? They've gone through storms. They've walked through fire. They've gone through valleys. And all through it all, Timothy, young Timothy, he's growing up in the faith. He had moments in his faith where he had to wrestle and fight and cling. And in and, and, and through it all, he didn't flake. And see, you just, you can't tell and you can't know that if the, if the man is a recent convert. You, we don't, we, we, you don't know the true colors yet. I forget who was sharing it in observation time, but I liken it to, uh, maybe it was the Dwarts here, but um, the, the parable of the sower, if the, the soil is shallow, that seed just springs up real quick. There's a lot of energy, a lot of joy, and then the sun comes and shrivels that thing up. You see, for the, the pastor or for a broken and believer, he, he has had to stand the test of time. You see, the test of time tells us of a man's maturity in part, not in all. But there is something to say there. If brother has been walking with the Lord, he's been in this church faithfully attending and practicing since he was five years old. That says a lot. So young people here, children, God is preparing and molding and shaping you, maturing you right here, right now. So that in 5, 10, 15 years, if God were to call you into leadership and to serve in this congregation, we as a family, we know you got history. Even if you're 17 years old. Some of the most mature believers I know are very young. And it's because they walk through fire and storm again and again. And they've clung to the promises of God all the way through. Are we maturing in this way? Well, here's the second thing. A broken and believer has a tested genuineness of faith. So the test of time is one part, but during that time, he's got to be tested. There needs to be a, a fiery trial. Let me, let me read this to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 9. You can look, turn there or listen. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. That's the recent convert. He's caused us to trust in Christ and be reborn to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's trusting in the gospel. Verse 4, and to an inheritance that's imperishable. Oh, that's heavy. Undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for you. For, God's, for by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That, verse 6, in this, in what? In that faith in the gospel that you have converted to. In this, you rejoice. And then it says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's speaking of, you have this faith in Jesus. And then in this life, there's these trials, these testings that is pressing in on, on your faith if you're legit. 
Do you really trust? And then here he goes, he keeps going on. Verse 8, and though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him, now you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love this is so beautiful because this is tested genuineness of, of, of faith. Do you know this? Do you know what it's like to cling to Christ? You trusted in him, right? And then shortly after that, trials come. Hardships come. And your faith is getting pressed. Is this true? Is he worth it? Is Jesus for real? And by the grace of God, you come to this place where you hold the faith and though you don't see him, oh man, you love him. And you're filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. And you're going to keep pursuing him. My question is, do you know that? Do you know that? Has your faith been put in fire where you were pressured to doubt and just throw in the towel and, and quit all this. But then, by the grace of God, this faith, you just know. He's real. This book is real. And I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to hold to your promises As I pray for you, many of you in, this, in our church here even tonight, I know that many here, you're going through some trials. You're going through some sickness. There's cancer. There's death. There's joblessness. There's hopelessness. There are things right now that you're dealing with tonight. And your faith is being tested. It's being refined in the fire. And see, a new convert has yet to taste that flame. And so many of you are such inspirations to me because amidst what you're going through, you love him. Even though you've never seen him, you're filled with this joy for him. And you're carrying on. You see, this, this maturity in the faith is for all believers. It just happens that the pastor needs to be a man who gets that. He's got to get that. I mean, how are you going to have a pastor who's never known that pain, who's never been in a dry season, who's never known what it's like to not feel anything and yet still wake up and, and live for the Lord? How are you going to expect that guy to lead you through and my children through trials of this life? They're not going to know. They're not going to get it. And so we as a church family, we must not put a man in that position and set him and us up for failure. He's got to have this in him. How can he carry the burdens and be so patient and kind with other saints who are going to struggle in their immaturity? He's not going to last. If he's a newbie, in the faith, this is just basic Christianity. If he's flaky and shaky, and every other week he's ready to abandon the faith, you know what kind of shepherd he's going to be? 
once things get tough at New Anabaptist Church, peace. See you later. Putting my two weeks in, this is just too hard. This is why he must not be recent. He must be broken in. And the only way you get broken in is hardship, suffering, pain, just living in this life, but clinging to Christ all the way through. He has walked through the valley of the shadow of death. He's breathed in the pain of sin, and he's looked at its horrific wretchedness and what it does to a life. And he's turned to Christ, and he's pleaded and prayed his knees off that God would do something, and it starts in his own soul. It starts in him. And he's seen Christ transform him so much so that he has all the hope to believe that if he could do it for him, he could do it for you. And that's the type of man who's going to pastor a suffering saint. That's the kind of man who's going to preach a gospel that he believes. Because he believes in the transforming power of the gospel because it, did, it, it transformed him. You see, a recent convert just doesn't know those things just yet. They just begin to taste If he has the maturity level of a recent convert or new believer, Brada is not going to last. And quite frankly, he shouldn't be pastoring. The man needs milk. He needs to be nourished. And Paul then goes on and will finish the verse. He says, and worse, he may become prideful, puffed up to his peril. Let's read on to the end and we'll, we'll finish. Or he may become puffed up. Typhu or tufu. This is a crazy word. Here, let me let me read to you the definition. To become crazy, demented, insanely arrogant, extremely proud, lifted up by pride. The puffed upness is a picture of something that's just swollen with smoke. The dude's so arrogant and puffed up that his head is in the clouds. Now, at first it sounds funny, right, Livia? Like that puffed upness, you just see a balloon like... <laughs> but when you really take the time to think about this, this is scary. The thing about balloons, my son loves balloons, they're outwardly big, but they're filled with nothing. No substance. Just, and that's it. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it says puffed up again. It says this knowledge, and he's speaking to the Corinthian church, which was a very puffed up church. From chapter 3, they're all fighting about who, what teacher is this and what teacher they follow. And they're very puffed up with knowledge, so they think. But, but Paul says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You see, vain conceit, puffed up pride, the pride of the pastor may lead to his downfall, that's the point, and the damage of others along the way. I'm going to read that one more time. That's our final point. The pride of the pastor may lead to his downfall and the damage of others along the way. 
the way. Vain conceit, being puffed up, is not the way a follower of Christ is to walk. If you're truly a convert, the gospel has crushed your pride already, right? And that's why as new believers, we're going to need to get, we're going to get puffed up and we need to be humbled again and again and again until finally we have the maturity and the humility of a Christian, a true Christian. It's not about us anymore. But a puffed up, conceited person, it is about him. It is about performance. It is about accomplishments. It is about how, how much I can achieve in my ministry. It's not. It's about the finished work on the cross. Philippians chapter 2. Let me read this to you. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. In other words, if you're a Christian, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's the same word there, puffed up in conceit. But in humility, that's the antidote to pride, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look, um, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now listen, have this mind among yourselves. Have this humble mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ. And then he goes on to talk about, though he was the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead Jesus emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. Think about it. He came as a babe in a manger in a little town of Bethlehem. He grew up in the ghettos of Nazareth. He didn't walk around with bling and flash. He looked like an ordinary brada. And by the time he came, they're like, who's this guy? He was a humble man. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant and born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, this is our king, guys. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The greatest expression of humility is found in the person of Christ. Therefore, God has exalted him. He must increase. We must decrease. That's John, right? See, true humility is grasped. Now, hear me. True humility is grasped in the experience of the gospel, the experience of it. You see, those who allow themselves to get puffed up and conceit, they're immature in their experience of the gospel. It hasn't penetrated or permeated their soul as much as they think. I don't care if you can break down the doctrines of grace in your head and you can put all the theological categories up tidied and nice for me because knowledge can puff a man up. 
But love, humility, builds people up. You see the difference? He must experience the power of the cross in such a way where he's truly been broken in and broken down and built up, broken in and broken down and built up only by the grace of God. And then he becomes a humble man. It's not about him or anyone else. His only bragging right is Jesus. I want to emphasize the experience of the gospel, the tasting of this. Because pastoral ministry, hear me, it's not less than sound explanation. It's not less than good exposition. It's not less than, but it's way more than. This is a couple warnings I want us to hear as a church. No matter how gifted or skilled a teacher or knowledgeable a man can be, giftedness does not equate to godliness. It does not. Giftedness does not equate to godliness. I will not hide behind my gifts. And if I try to, you better come and get me. Just because a brother or sister can lead worship and sing super eloquent like an angel, that does not necessarily mean brother or sister is humble and holy. Some of the most immature believers I've met have been worship leaders, myself included. It's easy to hide behind a microphone and a guitar. I'm so thankful to God for John Hom and Trevor. Because these men, they lead us so well. But I know these men. They're humble men. It's not for them. It's not for their glory. I know their character. I've watched their life. And so when they lead us in song, for me, I'm led into the presence of God. But it's very easy to hide behind a gift, guys. We must not be fooled. Children, do not be fooled. For the future of this church and the men who will be coming into, into the ministry, don't be fooled. Giftedness doesn't equate to godliness. Mere knowledge doesn't equate to godliness. Charles Bridges, I love this. He quotes this guy named Bishop Burnett. He says, beware of studying books more than yourself. Beware of studying books more than yourself. I love our church. I love that you guys love books. I give up books all week, every week. There's a hunger and thirst for righteousness here. But that, let, me, let me warn us. Knowledge can puff us up, guys. Let me, let me just be careful. Embrace humility. This is all grace. A pastor who is filled with arrogance and pride is following in the footsteps of the devil. To finish the verse, it says this, he must not be, or he must not be recent. He'll be puffed up with conceit. If you put an immature person in a place of leadership, it presents the temptation for him to fall into the condemnation of the devil, to fall, to fall into one's power. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before the fall. You see the progression? He's puffed up and then he falls. This is what happened to Satan. Read Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. The devil was demoted because of his sinful pride. He kept saying, I will, I will, I will. He thought he could be God. And God sent that angel down. And he humbled him. And if pride brought Satan down, sinful pride can easily bring down a pastor. Pride is a pastor's downfall. 
It's a huge snare, guys. Position and prestige given to a leader who lacks humility can be catastrophic. The pastor can fall and much damage can be done to him and the church he's shepherding. This hits so much home for me. Because in my own life, in my own ministry, if there's a qualification, I started, I've, I've been in this really at a young age. But if there's a qualification that I would say I would be subject to in my early years of ministry, this would be the one. I thought I got myself, my feet wet really early. I was just kind of thrown into it. And it's only by the grace of God that I think you put men around me who have fallen in such horrific ways that it struck such fear in my heart that by the grace of God, I just want to embrace humility. I don't want this to be egocentric and about me. The pastor, it's not my platform to advance myself. I'm trembling at the thought that this is my calling. By age 17, I've witnessed front-hand marital issues in pastors that I knew. Like I walked in on stuff that I was like, oh my gosh. By age 19, I've, I, was, I didn't know at the time, but I've interacted with a pastor who confessed that he is homosexual and he confessed he almost wanted to rape me. And he's into gambling. I didn't know this about him. I was witnessing to the, to the guy. By the end of our conversation, he's confessing all this, and he's like, everything you're telling me about Jesus, I know, Chris, because I'm a pastor. I'm the senior pastor at blah, blah, blah. And I'm 19 years old. I'm like, what? It's like, what do I do? Do I call the police? Do I, I, I get a phone call from him yesterday. You want to come over to my house, continue our discipleship? No. I'll meet you at Starbucks, though. You need to confess to your wife. I'll never forget that interaction. It was wild for me. Talking to him at the park about Jesus. We're in his car, and he's bawling his eyes out, confessing, I'm so thankful I didn't hurt you. Because this is what I had planned to do from the beginning. But something came upon me where I just need to confess. And that, guys, I went home to my apartment at 19 years old, and I got on my knees, and I said, God, that could be me. That could be me. Because I'm in Bible college at the time, and I had secret sins in my life that I'm not dealing with. And the character of this man needed to be shaped and molded. This couldn't be for show. I needed to be humbled. And God used men around me and their mistakes to humble me. By the time I'm in my mid-20s, I'm serving with men who would fall. Moral failure in their own home. And the catastrophic results, not just for these men, but for the people who follow them, is so devastating that this is striking a chord for me, if you can't tell. And I'm giving all my guts to God right now that we would be a church that does not put men in the office that are not ready to be there. And even if that be me, I will happily step down. This is not about us. It's about the glory of God and true Christianity to be experienced from the pulpit down. So please, church family, as we bring this part to a close, let's weigh these things to heart. Let's glean from it, though, because all of us must be men and women who desire to have humility and spiritual maturity. So how, amen, so how, how do we battle pride? How do we cultivate humility? Because that's the antidote to pride. I'm going to give you two things 
for application in Wapau. One, it starts with a true experience of the gospel and solid security in your identity in Christ. you got to be solid in your identity. Luke 10, 17 to 20. Do you remember this? He sends the 72 out and they return with joy because they're like, dude, even demons were subject um, to us in your name. And he said to them, and listen what he says to them. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Why does he, why does he bring Satan up again? Because they're all stoked about all that they've done. We, like we casted demons out. Dang. And he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And he says this, behold, I gave you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, that nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. Pastor, don't rejoice in the fruits of your ministry and everything that you've done. Because you've done nothing. But rejoice in this, bro. Rejoice in this, 72. Your names are written in heaven. You're a Christian sealed by the blood of the Lamb. I don't care if I'm a pastor or a plumber or whatever. If I'm part of the family of God, I'm good. My sale is, I'm good. That's all my pride and joy. You see, you got to be secure in your identity in Christ if you're going to cultivate a humble heart. Second thing, place yourself among and beneath others who are calling upon the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, saying, allow mature believers to speak truth into your life. Another way to put it, like what Christy said earlier, just be a disciple. Here's a question. Are you being discipled by someone? Like, are you? I don't, it doesn't matter what age you are. I hope if I see gray hair, like a full head of gray hair, that I will still be wanting men to pour into my life. I still want to be learning. Place yourself among others. 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, and love, along with those who call upon the Lord of the pure heart. Colossians 3.16 says, we're to teach and admonish one another, guys. When's the last time you asked someone for advice or for godly counsel? When's the last time you asked someone for wisdom from the Bible? Or when's this the last time you asked anyone for wisdom at all? You see, it takes humility to do that. When's the last time you asked someone to pray for you for something that really matters? I dare you to do this tonight. Before you leave, if you're hurting with something, if there's something that's on your heart that's really difficult for you to bear right now, ask a brother. doesn't need to be me. Ask a brother or sister, please pray for me with this. You know what that takes? Humility. Unless you just want everyone to think you're fine and dandy all the time. You know what I mean? How you doing today, brother? Wonderful. You know, even though your marriage is falling apart. Sis, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a great day. Even though you're thinking about having an affair. Guys, we need to cultivate humility. I dare you to do that. And mature shepherds know that they are to be the first to model this. I'm a sheep just like you. Nothing separates you and I. If anything, I like to tell people a lot. The only difference, like, for those of you who are praying about being baptized, the only difference between me and you is I've just been walking with Jesus a little longer. That's it. And I found my chores in the house to do, and I'm trying to do them well. We're all part of the family of God. 
But you see, this humility and maturity, it's going to start right here, right now. I pray, as we pray and as we sing, and your heart right now tonight would be a hunger and thirst to grow, really grow, in your faith. Humility is where it begins. Amen? Love you guys. Let's pray, and we'll be out, we'll be out tonight. Lord Jesus, there is so much to be said about these things. We confess, God, that all of us are prideful. We all struggle with arrogance. And the more we learn about the Bible, there's a more tendency to want to get puffed up. All of us wrestle with sinful pride. And we all need to bring this pride to the cross tonight. Father, if we have given into our arrogance in any way this week, have mercy. Humble us. Let us look to Christ, our great example, of our servant king who humbled himself. And would you now work in us maturity, spiritual maturity, that we wouldn't in five years' time, in ten years' time, by this time, we ought to be teaching. We ought to be, how come we've never shared the gospel yet? How come we've never exercised our giftings yet? Don't let us be newly planted trees forever. Mature us. And, and if tonight someone realized, I need milk. I'm not as mature as I thought I was. I'm not as humble as I thought I was. Then let us begin right, right now. It's okay. It's okay. That's the first step is to just humble yourself and recognize, I don't know what I believe in. I don't know if Christ is worth it. I'm not sure if I'm a convert. That's okay. Let there be true repentance tonight. If there hasn't really been regenerate faith, do it now. We love you, God. I thank you so much for the family here. And as we sing, would you now continue to put roots deep down into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, do these things. Only you can. Mature us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Would you join me in standing as we sing our way out?
stand forgiven right there at the foot of the cross. Church, raise your eyes and look to your Savior, Jesus, who has prepared our future bright and glorious with him. We have been raised and made a new creature in Christ alone. Now let's live it out. Let's live it out. You're dismissed. <laughs>